Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke as we continue to work our way through this Gospel of our Lord. Our passage this morning, we will be wrapping up Luke chapter 18, so we'll be reading from Luke 18 verses 35 down through verse 43. Follow along with me now. And as he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before Your Word praying, Lord, that You would, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, speak. But Lord, You would work that we, Lord, may may leave behind the cares of this world, that we may leave behind the concerns that even now would demand our thoughts, that You, Lord, by Your grace, would help us to put aside those distractions, to focus on Christ, to understand our state and just how deeply we are a people in need how we each are in need of mercy, patience, forgiveness. Lord, lead us in Your truth. Sanctify us in Your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been to a place in your life where you were truly desperate? Where you felt like there was nothing and no one else you could depend on. Where you were truly at the end of yourself. You know, I read a story in the news just recently. There was a man in Harris County, Texas, just outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. His name was Robert Wade. He was 62 years old. He was a veteran of the U.S. Navy. But he had been... He had been homeless for 20 years just due to a, a series, kind of a perfect storm of hardship that entered his life. And on top of being homeless for 20 years, he was also losing his sight. He had lost all his vision in one eye, and his other eye, had, he was legally blind. He could still see light, dark shapes, movements. And he was living in a homeless encampment just outside of a very rundown neighborhood. He didn't know what he was going to do was truly desperate. About that same time, a, a, young, a young sheriff's deputy befriended him. 
This young deputy saw him walking in the neighborhood, literally having to find his way along with his hand along a fence line, and, and at some point just, just wandering with his hands out in front of him, just trying to get to a few basic places to get clean water. The sheriff's deputy befriended him, and, and Robert Wade didn't trust the deputy at first. Tried to get him to stay away from him, told him to leave him alone, pushed him away. But the deputy, for whatever reason, just kept trying to help. And finally, Robert Wade let him, let him in, let him hear a little bit about a story, what he had been through. And that young deputy had an idea that because he was a Navy veteran, that maybe he would be able to have access to something that could help preserve the vision in his one eye. So this young deputy went through all the work of finding his military records and trying to get his case before the VA. And sure enough, this man was eligible for a surgery that literally was able to repair the vision in his right eye. And this young deputy was able to help Robert Wade get off the streets into a program that was kind of a halfway program that helped him, that found him work, that got him back to a place in life where he had dignity and not fear. Can you imagine what it would be like to live that way? Imagine spending your life as, as a person in, in deep need, desperate need, ignored by the multitudes of people that simply passed you by every day. That's who we see in the text this morning. You know, Luke 18 begins and ends with stories of persistent faith. This chapter, chapter 18, opened with the parable of the woman and the unjust judge. The woman who keep, kept going back to the judge, who even though this man did not fear God nor have any concern for her, her sheer persistence led that judge to finally do what is right, to decide in her favor. And Jesus applied that parable by saying, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, here at the end of chapter 18, we see again how Christ responded compassionately to a blind beggar who also had persistent faith. And what we see through all of this, brothers and sisters, is that Christ is a compassionate Savior. He is a Savior whose, whose heart is open and indeed even moved by need and human suffering. And desperation. He comes and he not only meets our physical needs. He invites all of humanity to come to him and trust in him for forgiveness and grace and healing and life. Our deepest spiritual needs. And, and in light of that, it's, it's very sad that the, the prevailing wisdom of our age, when we talk about the message that comes from the world, it's literally one of two things. Either that there is no God, or that if there is a God, He's not to be bothered. I want you to know this morning that if you are suffering, if you are hopeless, if you are in deep need, my prayer today is that you will know and understand the compassion of Christ. That you will cry out to Him and trust Him to be tender and merciful towards you just as He was to the blind man in our text today. We're going to look at this passage just with two main points. We're going to look first at the persistent cry for mercy and then we're going to look at the compassionate response of the Savior. So first, the persistent cry for mercy. 
Jesus is making his way into Jericho. Remember that he is on his way towards Jerusalem from the east, from the region around the Dead Sea. And Jericho is that city that's right there on the edge of the Dead Sea. It would have been a gathering point for all Jewish pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem for Passover from the region of Perea and the other side of the Jordan. In the barren wilderness that surrounded the Dead Sea, Jericho was known as the city of the palms. They had palm trees, orchards where they grew figs and citrus. There was fresh water even there next to the Dead Sea. And the climate was very warm and pleasant because of the low elevation. In Jericho, they also made a medicine to treat blindness from a special balsam bush that grew there. And so, as you might think, there were a, high, there were a large number of blind people that were drawn to that city in the hope that this ointment that they made could help them. Because they could not work, and only very few of them had families that were capable of supporting them, most of them were beggars. And as you also might guess, beggars... They found that the best place for them to do their begging was outside the gates of the city where travelers were because travelers were more likely to be carrying money. We go to Jesus. Jesus, by this time in his ministry, he was already very known throughout all of Israel, especially for his miraculous abilities, his ability to heal. Many were already speculating that he was indeed the Messiah. And that popularity meant that Jesus drew a crowd wherever he went. This day was no exception. As Jesus was coming into Jericho, there was a blind man sitting by the road. And when you sit by the road leading in, in and out of a great city, you are in a position to overhear a lot of stuff. There is no doubt that over the past few years, this blind man had heard numerous conversations and stories about Jesus, this one who was an authoritative teacher, this one who was a great healer of men. No doubt this blind man undoubtedly wished that he could be healed by such a man. But without his sight and without someone to lead him, how would he ever find Jesus? But now as he heard the commotion of the great crowd, he asked someone what was going on. In verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And it immediately occurred to him, this might be his only chance to ever be this close to Jesus. And so though he lacked the, the sight to see him, he did not lack the voice to cry out to him. And he cried out, verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was the most common Jewish title for the Messiah or the Anointed One. He was the deliverer that God promised would come through the Old Testament. He was the one who would establish the throne of David forever and ever. And though this blind man could not see, he had listened to the stories and teachings of Jesus as they were shared. He had come to believe that Jesus was the Lord Messiah, the anointed deliverer of Israel. That promise was promised by the Old Testament prophets, the one that even the prophets said would heal the blind. In Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says of this ministry of the suffering servant, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. So this blind man, this blind beggar cried out for Jesus and he wouldn't stop. He cried out for mercy. He was entreating Jesus for his undeserved favor, for some blessing of his benevolence. He was desperate. 
And in his desperation, he was persistent. This beggar had nothing to offer Jesus in return. There was no merit in himself that made him worthy of the Lord's attention. But he had faith. He had faith, so he cried out repeatedly and loudly. He cried out so loudly that the people in front of him began to shush him, right? It says in verse 39, first part, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. You know, we've probably all been in that, that situation before. Maybe you've been at the big game and, you know, someone a couple rows behind you just keeps shouting and shouting and shouting and, and it's to the point where you just can't even enjoy the game anymore and you just wish they'd be quiet. Or maybe it's been a movie theater. Or maybe it's been at a parade when someone was passing by. These people wanted this blind man to shut up so they could see Jesus. But what did he do? He cried out all the more. He wouldn't be stopped. He knew what people thought of him. You know, the blind and the crippled and the sick, they were outcasts among the Jews. People treated them very badly. Again, most Jewish people believe that if you were blind or deaf or, or had leprosy or any physical malady, they believe that you were suffering that as God's punishment, that you must have done some sin, something wrong to warrant God's punishment. And that justified in their minds, you know, you leave them to God. They deserve it. They also thought that Jesus was far too great a man to care about the wants or needs of a blind beggar. And it's so it says that they rebuked him. And, and that word for rebuke there is very strong. They literally got very harsh with him, trying to shut this man down. But the rebuke of the crowd could not stop him. He kept crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The only hope of regaining his sight rested with the Messiah. And so he shouted with all his might. That brings me back to the question I asked in my introduction. Have you ever been in a situation where you were literally desperate? Have you been in a place where you cried out to another as if your life depended on it? Do you even understand what that looks like? To cry out to the Lord as if your life, your entire future, your well-being, the well-being of those you love, as if the entirety of it rests wholly on the Lord's answer to you. Maybe it was a time of, of serious illness. Maybe it was a time of severe marital breakdown and trouble. Maybe it was a time when, when you feared for your child. Maybe it was a time when someone dear to you had already gone and you were suffering and loss you know the sad thing brothers and sisters is that there's there are many people who get in places of desperation and even in their desperation they do not cry out to the lord in fact, there, there are many barriers to people crying out to Jesus in faith. You know, first of all, there's just the barrier of skepticism, right? There's, there's unbelief. Okay, Jesus was a real historical person. I get that. He was a Jewish rabbi. I get that. You know, but all this stuff about him being God and miracles and, you know, dying on a cross for sin, that, that's just a bunch of hooey. So why would I cry out to him if I need something? I got to figure this out myself. Then there's the response of pride. 
you know, well, you know, I, I believe there's a God, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay. Jesus is a crutch I don't need. It's good for others, but, you know, just I can do without. Then there's really the response of the person who's deceived about their condition. You know what? I'm, I'm really not that bad. You know, there are other people far worse off than me, and, and this is not that bad, and I'm not that bad, and I'm not in that deep of need, and, you know, it's, it's okay. I'll, I'll figure out my way through this. Deception and pride, those two things go hand in hand. Then there's the response or, or the, the, the mindset of shame. There are some people that are just so ashamed. I, I am so far gone. I have done so many bad things. You don't understand what a terrible person I am. I am worthless. The Lord wants nothing to do with me. I deserve what I'm suffering. You know, the final reason maybe that we see in this text even, another one of the barriers to crying out to Jesus is just the pressure of the crowd. We live in the midst of a culture that tells us you don't need the Lord, and He certainly doesn't want anything to do with you, so why don't you be quiet? That's what the crowd was doing that day to this blind beggar. Those are the kind of reasons that are barriers to us crying out to Jesus in faith. But let's, let's ask the other side. Let's look at the other side of the coin here. What are the reasons that you do cry out to Jesus for mercy? What are the reasons you do cry out to the Lord? And there's really only one, just one. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you are suffering, whatever it is you don't understand, whatever you realize you don't have the answers for in the midst of your crisis, you do realize that Jesus is your one and only hope. That's the one reason you cry out. Because you realize He is your one and only hope for healing your one and only hope for endurance. Your one and only hope for strength. Your one and only hope for answers. Your one and only hope for mercy and forgiveness. And here's, here's a really important thing I would bring us to as we think about this, brothers and sisters. Another thing we must understand is whether or not you feel like it this morning, every single one of us is desperate. Whether or not you feel like it this morning, every single one of us is desperate. And let me explain that. If you are in crisis, if you are in that moment of great financial pressure, the threat of loss, some, some hope that has been dashed in this life, something that you cannot find your way through, if you are in a desperate place by virtue of your circumstances and God's frowning providences, then you know you need the Lord. You know that He is the only one that can preserve you through this. On the other side, if you are someone who has a deep and abiding walk with the Lord, if you are that person that, whose mind is being daily formed by Scripture, if you're that person who is every day having your mind shaped by the Lord's Word and you are walking in repentance and faith, you are near to Jesus in your life, then the fact that you are living that kind of Christian life means you also know how desperate you are. Because you agree in your mind and heart with the Spirit of God, with Scripture, that tells you how deeply you need Him every day to forgive you, to be patient with you, to be your source of joy, 
to be your source of love and belonging. But you know, then there's that, that whole group of people that's kind of in the middle. They're those people that are probably like most of us, and I, I, I include myself in this at times. We think, you know, our life is, is going okay. There are bumps in the road. There are challenges we face, but, you know, we, we make it. We, we push our way through. We get there. And certainly, yeah, God's the one who does that. And what I would have us, draw, have us draw our minds and our hearts to consider, brothers and sisters, is that when we're in that place, we also are a bit deceived because we fail to see our own desperation, our own deep need for Christ and Christ alone as the answer for where we are. And, and, you know, even the Bible teaches us that we can be in this place. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and the letters written to the churches, Jesus here speaking to the church at Laodicea in Revelations 3, he's talking to the Laodicean church, and this is a church now. These are professing believers. And Jesus begins to chastise them. He says to them, beginning of verse 17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Brothers and sisters, the danger for so many of us is that we fall right there in with the church at Laodicea. We think we're good. I've got what I need. I've got who I need. I'm good. Not realizing that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that Christ... Christ loves his people enough to cut away our deceptions. He is a father who disciplines those he loves to bring forth a harvest of righteousness. And you wonder why sometimes we go through such hardships and such maladies and such challenges that test us to the very core of our being. We go through these things, I dare say, often because God and his providence is bringing us to a place to recognize that we've been desperate all along. You see, Jesus, he specializes in helping the desperate. He is a Lord who knows our hearts better than we do. Jesus knows our thinking process. He knows what we're prone to. He knows the wrestling match that goes on every day between the spirit and the flesh inside his children. Even when you talk about those who do not believe, those who just choose not to, to trust in Christ, choose not to believe in Christ, he knows their hearts and their barriers as well. And the truth of all of us, whether believer or unbeliever, is that Jesus Christ is the only way, is the only one who can cut away that deception of the heart. And he will often do it through adversity, through trial. He will show us our deep and abiding need for Him because He knows He is the only one who can meet that need. And Christ is all about giving 
those whom he loves the best. And what is the best? Himself. Christ gives us himself. Brothers and sisters, realize your desperation. Realize how deeply you need him each and every day. Just first and foremost, just think and consider and feel the weight of your sin. Even if you think you're doing well, understand every day you are engaged in a battle. You are engaged in a battle to believe. And Christ is the only one who can strengthen you for that battle. Christ is the only one who can give you grace in that battle. Christ is the only one who will see you through. He is your only hope. That's what we see with Jesus and this blind man as we shift to my second point, the compassionate response of the Savior. So Jesus, he's surrounded by this crowd. Undoubtedly, this crowd itself has a, has a noise, a hum, but over it, he hears this voice from way in the back crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That cry of faith our Savior cannot resist. Because it's in His nature to draw near and to love those who look to Him, who call to Him. So Jesus, it says in verse 40, He stopped. He commanded that the man be brought to Him. Jesus saw what was happening. He heard not only the man, but He also heard the accompanying crowd rebuking Him and trying to shut Him down. When the blind man finally stood before Jesus, Jesus asked Him, What do you want me to do for you? Verse 41. Now, why did Jesus ask him this question? Did Jesus not know he was blind? Did Jesus not know what the man needed? Well, of course not. Jesus knew exactly what was wrong with him and exactly what he wanted. Jesus asked him because the statement of this man's request was part of his expression of faith. So the blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And the way he says this is even interesting as well. You know, the blind man did not say, Lord, can you heal me? Or, or Lord, can you help me to see again? There was no question in this blind beggar's mind that Jesus could do exactly what he needed. He believed that Jesus possessed all power and authority necessary to restore his sight. All Jesus had to do was let it be so. All that was necessary was an exercise of the Savior's will, and this man knew he would be healed. In the parallel passages in the other Gospels, it says that upon hearing this request, Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved in his innermost being with great pity and sympathy and concern for this man who was in such sorrowful condition. And we want to understand here that Jesus didn't feel pity and compassion just because of this man's physical blindness. He was looking upon one of his own image bearers who had been decimated by this world. Who had been, this world is subjected to, to corruption and sin. And because we live in this world of corruption and sin, there's cancer and there's blindness and there's leprosy and there's death. And so when Jesus looked at this man, he looked at one of his image bearers whose life had been wrecked by these realities. And what did he do? 
He does what the Savior always does. He responds to even the mustard seed of faith. He exercised his divine power to restore the sight of one of his sons, one of the people he had made. He showed mercy to the blind man, and he demonstrated the power of God yet again for the crowd that stood around him. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Again, just imagine this. The man who had just a minute before had been told to shut up, go away, be quiet. This man who had likely sat by this road for years, begging as a matter of his livelihood, blind was now looking around at the colors, looking around at all the people, looking up at the sun shining in the sky, looking at the face of the Savior who just made his pronouncement of healing upon him. Now, if that were you, do you think you'd be happy? If that were you, do you think you might have a little bit of joy in that moment? Well, this man did. This man began responding immediately. He was rejoicing. All praise and glory and honor be to God. He began glorifying the Lord for what had been done. There was no question in his mind exactly what had happened and who had done it. This was a work of the Lord that had set him free from his darkness, that had set him free from his destitution. Someone finally looked at him and said he was worth something. And so he rejoiced. The blind man, it said, followed him, followed Jesus, glorifying God. So when Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, he seems to have meant that the blind man was also now well in his soul. By the power of Christ, he had regained his spiritual sight in addition to his physical sight. So this man now followed Jesus, not just out of thankfulness, but out of faith. He followed Jesus, giving all praise and glory to God for the miracle he had experienced. Brothers and sisters, this is the natural behavior of a transformed heart. To rejoice with adoration for the one who opened his eyes. To proclaim to all who would hear of the splendor of God and of the power of Jesus to save and to heal. And that kind of praise and adoration is contagious. It says there at the end of our passage, and all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. It caused this whole crowd, people who were even moments again before telling him to be quiet, shut up, sit down. Everyone now was giving praise and glory and honor to God. The power of Christ to change men's lives is truly amazing. You know, brothers and sisters, there, there are many applications we could, we could make of this story. Let me just focus on what I think, though, is, are the key ones. First of all, we live, we live in the midst of a culture that is in incredible need. We live in the midst of a culture that is sick with sin. We live in the midst of a culture that is calling righteousness evil and calling what is evil righteous. And, and lest we think this is something that's just come about, you know, with, with all the, you know, the LGBTQ, RSTUV, whatever stuff that's out there, lest we think it's just having to do with the sexual ethic of our culture and other things, let us understand 
there have been things going awry for, for decades. Why? Because the heart of man is, is sinful. Because all of us are inclined to live for self rather than the Lord. And what was once a pervasive cultural Christianity a hundred years ago has now turned into a pervasive cultural secularism. And so we need to realize as the church, we live amongst, we live amongst a multitude of blind people. Did you ever stop to think of it that way? We, love, we live amongst a multitude of blind people, many of our neighbors and classmates and co-workers, the people that we're acquainted with, the ones who we run into on a daily basis. They have their physical sight, but they're blind to the things of God. Paul talks about this to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever been to a place where, where a, a blind person lives or perhaps where blind people go to school? I had the opportunity many years ago to visit a school for the blind. And you know, there's... There's no pictures on the wall. They don't need them. Can't see them. In every hallway, there's, there's railings. That's how they find their way along and, and not stumble. When their food is served to them there, you know, they, they tell people your, your meat, your protein is going to be at 12 o'clock, and then your green vegetable is going to be at 3 o'clock, and your starch is going to be at 6 o'clock. You know, they even have to tell people how their plate is going to be arranged. And they teach people there, you know, how to, how to fold the bills of different denominations in their wallets so they know what bills they have in their wallets. And they teach people to read by Braille. And there's, there's all these, these, these adaptations that blind people have to make. And it's amazing to see how, how blind people function so well. I, there's, there's so much courage there. And there's, there's so much perseverance and endurance But I want us to use that as really a spiritual illustration. There are a lot of people in our lives today who have eyes, but they cannot see. They walk and talk and eat and speak, but they live in darkness. They cannot see what is most important. They are in great need. They are in desperate need. A few of them are even crying out in desperation. But sadly, brothers and sisters, we're oftentimes just like that crowd. We pass them by. Or worse, sometimes with our behavior, we even have the effect of shushing them. We are called to be a people who demonstrate the compassion of Christ. If we reflect on the life of Jesus, what do we see over and over and over again? He served those in need even to the point of his own physical exhaustion during his earthly ministry. People were even pursuing him to the point of having to tear apart roofs to lower crippled people in front of him. People were doing anything and everything to bring anyone they could to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would heal them. He was always compassionate. He was always merciful. He always answered. The call of faith. Brothers and sisters, may we do likewise. A second thing, and this is the pinnacle thing. 
let us remember that it is Christ alone who can open the eyes of blind men. None of us who are sitting here today who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord, none of us can claim to be here because we had a moment of brilliance, because we had a moment of insight into, and discernment into our own condition. None of us can claim to be here because we somehow came to the logical realization, oh yes, I am a sinner and therefore I need a Savior and that is Christ, so I guess I had better believe in Him. No, not one of us. If you are here today and you name the name of Christ, it is because Christ opened your eyes. He opened your eyes to see and to recognize that you were a rebel to His will, that you had broken all of His commandments, that you, because God is a holy and just God, you came to the realization that you deserved His wrath and punishment because the Spirit of God awakened you and helped you to see that. Only Christ can open the eyes of blind men. It is His work alone. And He is the one who demonstrates true compassion on sinful men and women. You see, brothers and sisters, when Jesus went to the cross, when He died in our place on the cross, He purchased spiritual sight for all who would believe in Him. He purchased spiritual sight for all who would be His. You can be a person who has physical sight, and yet you'll never see anything of eternal consequence. But you know what? Even a blind person who is saved is blessed to see the infinite grace of God. Remember, we are all desperate. Christ is our only hope. Christ is the one who redeems. Christ is the one who has the answers. Christ is the one who is sovereign over every circumstance. Christ is the one who has led you into the storm and He is the one brother, sister who will lead you through it, who will lead you out of it. Do you trust Him? Do you trust the compassionate heart of your Lord? 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6 For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as Your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is your compassionate Savior. He does hear you. He will heal and save. It may not be in the way that you desire, but He will hear the voices of His children. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You for Your grace, Your love, Lord, Your faithfulness to pursue us even with Your tender mercies. Help us, Father God, to see and understand that, that we are just like this blind beggar. We have no hope but You. Lord, I pray also for those who are within the sound of my voice, Lord, who do not cry out. 
who perhaps are content to let Jesus pass by thinking they're not in need. They have enough. They can make their own way. Lord, work in their hearts. Open their eyes. May they see and know and understand the truth and run to Christ in faith just as this blind man has done. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We pray all this in the precious name of Christ our Lord. Amen.